That's our, been our theme for the, uh, each, each emphasis. Uh, each week there's an emphasis. Today has been the a membership emphasis. Uh, and the Lord will add to the church such as should be saved. And I'm praying that he will continue to multiply us. We're looking forward to seeing uh, the witness of the Lord grow, or as Jesus said in Matthew 16, that the church would advance uh, that the gates of hell will not hold it back. Uh, there's some exciting things on the horizon. If you will, uh, take your Bibles. As I said, we're going to look at the text that is provided. It is a short verse, verse 20 of Colossians 3. Those of you that have already picked up one of the fourth point supplements, there's some at the cross at the back or at the side table here, uh, to be able to encourage you to take notes. Uh, so let us reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, inspired, infallible word as was given in the originals. Uh, this is the word of God in Colossians. If you're looking at your pew Bible, you'll see in chapter uh, 3, verse 20 is found on page 1,253. It's a simple verse, uh, but since uh, if you could bring up the word cloud real quick for me, you could see that we are a Bible-believing church. That's one of the things that makes us sadly unique. My prayer is that all the churches would be Bible-believing because that's what makes a church a church, that they would faithfully proclaim all the things that Jesus taught, which is the Word of God. Uh, now, we're Bible-believing, gospel-driven, we're reformed, we cherish worship, and we're, hopefully we're friendly too, as you can see. But we're here because the Bible is God's words. Let's look at that text. It's found uh, inside the uh, printed page inside your bulletin as well as in the text in front of you. Uh, but we'll look at Colossians 3, verse 20. This is God's word. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, I got a couple of my kids here. Let me read that again for them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this, is, for this pleases the Lord. The word in the Greek there is kurios. It's the Lord, the ruler, the one who made us. Now, I wanted to go through, and uh, there's several other supporting texts, and I just want to read them for you once. So if you'd follow along, we'll be looking at Psalm 127, verse 3. And that one says, Behold... The psalmist says, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the, of the womb a reward. If you go to the, the Ephesians 6, which is a parallel passage with Colossians 3, it was written by the same person, probably in the same time frame, to people similarly in southern Turkey. He was writing to, instead of the church at Colossae, he wrote to the church in Ephesus. And this is how he explained something similar. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I like that verse, too. That's one of the first verses I taught my kids. I mean, look at it. It says, children, obey your parents, for this is right. Now, if you look at the next verse there from the Old Testament prophet of Joel, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, right at the beginning there, the, the minor prophet there, he ends up telling us the wisdom. He says, tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children to another generation. Now, that sounds like gossip, doesn't it? If you tell someone, and you, they'll tell someone, and they'll tell somebody else. But no, 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 it's not seen as gossip. This is to pass the message along. And you can see that in the next, uh, I go back to Judges chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 10. 
This is where the, uh, the, the people of God have finally come into the land, to the promised land. They've done all the battles during the book of Joshua, and now the book of Judges begins. And in chapter 2, verse 10, it tells us the state of being. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for his people Israel. That one's a sad one. Joshua 2.10, that the older generation died, but what they left behind was children that didn't know. Let me read that again. It says, and all that generation were gathered to their fathers. I mean, this is what the way it feels like on, on, on D-Day 77 years later. There's only a few of us that actually have a connection to that point. Whereas I bet you 70 years ago, almost everybody knew somebody. That probably shook everybody up. But it says that generation died, and the rest of verse 10 says, there arose another generation, there arose children who did not know the Lord, and those children didn't know the history. They didn't know what he had done for his people. They didn't know his story, history. Now, that's, that's Judges 2. Let me take you to the book of Proverbs, where the, uh, the author there is a dad. Uh, this is Solomon, as he's now had children. When he was a young guy, that was a song of Solomon. But now that he's got kids, he write these Proverbs. He wanted his children to be wise. And if you look there in verse 8 of chapter 1, right when he begins these Proverbs, he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. That sounds like a pretty wise thing to do. Let me repeat that. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland on your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not listen to them. Do not consent. Don't listen to that voice. Tune in to the voice of your mother and your father. Let me also take you to the book of Proverbs 22. Uh, it's one of those verses that I refer to everybody that has children. It, there it says, train up a child in the way that that child should go so that when the child is older, that child will not depart from it. This is a proverb, not a promise. Some of you have been disappointed that it's not a promise. Maybe some of you are grateful that it's not a promise because if you didn't train up your children in the way they should go, if it was a promise, then you would guarantee that they wouldn't go in the right path. But some of us get frustrated because if we do train our children up in the right way, sometimes they start listening to other voices too. But the wise thing to do is train them in the way they should go so that when they do age, when they find their own status, then they will remember and do the right thing. If you go a couple more verses in Exodus chapter 12, those of you that are familiar with Exodus, uh, this is where the people of God were in slavery at the beginning, and by the end, they're out of slavery. Everybody knows chapter 20, right? Chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. Of course, everybody knows the Ten Commandments, or do they? They've been removed from the school systems. I'm surprised they haven't chiseled them out of some of the buildings, even in Washington today. 
But in chapter 20, that's because the people had already come out of Egypt. And so chapter 12 is when they're leaving Egypt. And if you look there, it has a mention about children. And when your children say this to you, what do you mean by this service? It's a question mark after it. What's going on there is they're having the Passover meal. It's the, it's, it's the pre-communion service. But when the children were there, they were, they were curious. And, and Moses actually tells the parents... Your kids are going to ask questions. These are the kind of questions your kids are going to ask. Are you ready to give a reason to them? Are you going to be able to explain why we're putting our shoes on, why we're eating these bitter things, and why we're leaving? They're supposed to have an answer. Now, if you look at the last one there in Genesis 3.15, this is one that many people forget, but this is the, one of the first verses that talk about children, and uh, it's very interesting, uh, where in the midst of God explaining the judgment on the people for sinning, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and, this is the first child reference, her offspring, okay? He is going to bruise your head but you shall bruise his heel. He was speaking to Satan, and he says, Satan, you're going to go down. You're going to be taken with a mortal blow. It's going to bruise your head, and it's going to be done by a child, one born of a woman. And if I quote for you from Paul in Galatians 4.4, he says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those who are under the curse of the law. Now, those are some of the Bible verses that I want to draw your attention to. And uh, like I said, let's have prayer. Lord, I pray that you will take these references that we've looked at, and I pray that you might stir our souls, regardless of our age, to remember the counsel that you've given to children. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. I went through all of those verses because I wanted you guys to see that God does care about children, okay? And I'm really glad that he does. Christianity has an impact on childhood as well, okay? As I said, it was great to see these children up here. The only reason they're in church is because, let's see, they chose to come here. Now, as they're getting a little bit bigger, the answer, of course, is yes. But uh, obviously, if you live more than a block away from the church, what's the likelihood that kids are going to get here all by themselves? Any of you got any uh, good statistics for me? Now, it's not likely that they're ever going to make it to church without some adult or somebody with maturity to be able to come alongside them and bring them. Or as my, my doctorate thesis is all about, is to be like Eli coming to Samuel and saying, Eli, even though he wasn't the best, he ended up looking at young Samuel, a young kid, and he said, Samuel, when God talks to you, you need to listen. And he taught him some of the basics of having an attentiveness to the presence of the living and true God. It's so one of my heartbeats is to see that all of us do that for the children of the church, that they would all meet with God. It's great that each one of these six takes a Bible with them. But the Bible with them is not the same as God's word in them. That they would know what it's like in Romans 10 to know what the spirit of God is speaking to their hearts. Or Romans 8, that he whispers to them that they, each one is a child of God. 
Now, I, I wanted to be able to focus here that Christianity does impact childhood. And when we're in this particular text in Colossians chapter 3, the apostle is writing to believers just like you and me, and, and he's, got, he's gone through the explanation of salvation, or I like to call it the equation of salvation. In Ephesians, he says, it's for by grace through faith, it's plus no works. So salvation is by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. That's the gospel. What did we add to it? Nothing. If you try to add, you made this decision, you did this, you paid this price, you went there, you, were, you had this pilgrimage, those things will never add to salvation. In fact, it will pollute it. Because if you think that you had something to do with your salvation, then you misunderstood Paul's counsel to the church of Philippi. God begins, begins the work, and he will finish the work of salvation. Faith is not something you work to get. It's something that God gives you. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, which is why you'll hear the word of God every single time you come to this church. The word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any sword. It'll pierce to the soul and marrow. It comes right down to the heart because the Holy Spirit uses it. He makes it an effectual means to draw somebody who is dead in sins and trespasses into a living relationship with the living and true God. Now, having understood that, uh, Paul is telling, he's told them salvation, and now he's reminding them that if they're in Christ, everything's changed. In fact, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, if we've been raised with Christ, I mean, he was the one who died on the cross, he was buried, and then he rose from the dead. If we've been in Christ or united to Christ, then when we're raised with him, every relationship changes. Now, in this particular series, and if you have your bulletin card in front of you, you can look at it there, you can see all the different relationships that he mentions. There were particularly seven of them, okay? There were seven relationships that are changed that Paul wanted to identify. One of them had to do with wives. One of them had to do with husbands. One of them had to do with children. One of them had to do with parenting or fathers in particular. Then another one had to do with workers and those who are bosses. And then there was that one that we looked at last week, to people who are outsiders. Now, those seven relationships are all radically changed when you become a Christian. Do they get worse or do they get better? Careful. Okay? They actually, they're wonderful because that's what God designed, that we would be lights to the world to shine wherever we are, whatever relationship we're in. If you become a Christian and you're married to a non-Christian, guess what? Your marriage ought to be better. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but it ought to be. And it's even better if both of you become Christians. So then you're married to a believer. Isn't that wonderful? Now, think about it for a moment. The next relationship after husband and wife is where we are in verse 20. Children, you need to have a change. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is well-pleasing. Now, having said that, wow, I'm just digesting that to say, my goodness, God is very interested in these relationships. And if you're in a family unit and you're a child, hey, God has something to say to you. And that's why I wanted you to, to make sure you didn't miss out on this. The Bible has a lot of words for young people. Before I actually dive into those three parts in that text, I wanted to mention that the world is interested in children too. Have you noticed that? Smartphones, who are they targeting? Are they targeting you? Oh, yes, there's a few iPads that are for old people that can't see. You know, they're giants. 
But almost every, yeah, yeah grandpads. Um, but for the most part, if you want electronic information, you usually go to the younger generation. I mean, if you go to college now and university, almost all the degrees are being influenced heavily by what can be pumped through a phone, what can come across a web page. Even as I've indicated here, I gave everybody a lovely Bible. I will be rejoicing if they actually open the Bible up. Because most of the young people are going to be inclined to flip it open on their text or they'll probably speak to their phone. You know, tell me what verse this is. I mean, I do it too. It's so convenient. The United Nations was interested in children and... In 18, excuse me, in 1989, the General Assembly got together and they had the Convention of Rights for Children. Now, the United Nations is not known for its righteousness, is it? Okay, they are a group of people gathered together from across the world, they're globalists, and they are not united under the banner of Christianity, but rather they're united against another banner, or they're marching under a different banner. They want a heaven, but not in heaven, they want it on earth. They don't believe in a redeemer, so they're going to redeem it themselves. And they had an interest in children, and they recognized all the way back in 1989, let me quote this, they recognized that children are holders of their own rights and are therefore not passive recipients of charity, but they're empowered actors in their own development. That actually sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? Kids are important. They have their own rights. But this was laying the foundation to remove God's order. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Now, if you look a little further, I mean, they, they, they've done a lot of things to try to improve the situation for children around the world. And I have to give them credit. Christianity had done a lot of things like that, too. We were the ones who started hospitals all around the world. We were the ones who started the education universities and all that. In fact, if you go back even to the Ivy Leagues in our country, guess what they were all started for? They were started to, to, uh, to allow Christianity to, in, to expand because they were going to equip the ministers so that they would be able to go out all around and then to be able to teach literacy and to teach people the truths about God's ways of doing things. You can look at their charters. They've moved all away from that, and that's why in, in, uh, in, at the end of the 20th century, you can see this new shift they're not trying to expand Christianity, but they're trying to, to change the way people view families. Now, I, I'm one of those people that like some of those old movies. I like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, you know, and, uh, and I remember uh, in that particular movie, there was this, this one scene about the kids. You, you have it also in, in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and all that, where, where the kids are such a valuable resource that the bad people want to catch them. In Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, you remember that place where the lollipops, get your lollipops. Only about five of you know that movie. <laughs> Scared the life out of me because he was trying to entice the kids to get a lollipop and then he put them in a cage and he took them away from their parents. And good thing Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was able to be used by Dick Van Dyke to be able to rescue all the kids. You know, that's the good part of the story. But, you know, this kind of storyline is not new to just modern movies. It was already true back in the days of, of Daniel back in Babylon. You remember when the, when the invading army came in, they went ahead and took all the bright young men and they took them away. And they were going to do something special with them. 
They were going to indoctrinate them into their globalistic mindset. I mean, because Babylon was the global empire. And they were going to feed them great, and they were going to take care of everything for them. I mean, it's almost like giving them a free ride to the university. Most parents would say, that's great. I don't have to pay for it. But it's interesting. Look at what they're training them. And apart from God's grace, Daniel did not fall under that spell. He remembered what his parents had taught him. Now, you can find a lot of other stories like that, even the fall of Constantinople uh, over in Turkey. It was so sad when I heard that story. I read it, I think, in one of the Federer's minutes uh, where he talked about how uh, the Muslims had come in and they tried to take over that Protestant stronghold. One time they were successful at stealing the kids away. And they were gone for about 20 years, and then they ended up coming back, and they besieged that city, and they took out almost everything. And finally, when there was not much food left and there was not much stuff, then guess who the final group of people that came in to take over the city were? They were their children that had grown up after having been indoctrinated, and they were the enemies of their parents. Children are a precious resource. God has not just said, oh, well, about children. And if you go down to the uh, southern border right now, are children important or not important? Well, regardless whether you're Democrat or Republican, everybody doesn't want to see the kids stranded and starving. But if you're a trafficker or if you're one of the people that are on the Mexican side, uh, children are a valuable commodity. They end up being sold into some type of slavery whether sexual or for other reasons. Children are significant. Now, I've laid the foundation for it, so let's walk quickly through. If you have your notes, you'll be able to see it. I want to do the three-part message that God gave to children. In this one verse of verse 20, there's three things that you can see there. First, you can see God has a message for the young converts. Secondly, you can see that God has revealed his message clearly and succinctly. And thirdly, God has a surprising satisfaction with that message. You just got to look at, clearly see it. First, you can see he, when God is speaking through the apostle and he says, children, he's not saying lollipops, you know, come in, let me just seduce you over here. No, no, no. He's actually saying there should be children in the, in the body of Christ. He, there should be. It should be there. And he says, I notice you. This echoes what Jesus said, if you go to Luke, where he says, let the children come unto me, when the disciples were saying, keep them away, keep them away. Jesus is too important to be able to be distracted by the little kids. Man, when you realize, if you were one of the disciples, that was like a slap in the face. Christ is telling you, stop it. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't keep the kids away. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that beautiful? God has a message for kids. That's what you got to know here in, Ephes in Colossians 3.20. Secondly, God reveals this message briefly, succinctly, powerfully, but it's all about uh, the key word here. I call it authority. Children, you are under authority. So what he's saying. Isn't that sound much better than children obey? Because that sounds like you're talking to a pet. Sit, boo-boo, Sit. You know what I'm talking about? We tend to want to give those commands, and we expect those commands to be obeyed and, and followed through on immediately. But the truth is, is that this is all about authority. God is looking at the church of Jesus Christ, those who are now a part of the unity of the body of Christ. They're, they're old and young, and they're in the body, and, and God basically says to them through the apostle, there's authority over you. Don't fight it. Yield to it. And then the third part of that 
is that God is satisfied. This is well-pleasing to the curios. Now, what do you know about the curios, the Lord? I'm trying to tell you already that that's an interesting word to be able to use. It's not Christos, which is the anointed one, and it's not Jesus who is the Savior, you know, because Jesus is the same as Joshua. He will save his people from their sins. No, it's curios. It's the Lord. It's the ruler. It's the master. So guess what? The master's the one who is in charge, the one who has all authority. And so it's very interesting that it's well-pleasing to the one who has all authority to be able to say that there is delegated authority within the home. Children, don't rebel against it. Embrace it. It's a beautiful thing. It's well-pleasing to the Lord. If you can see that three-part message, it's, it's something that you don't need to walk away from. It's something that you should say, wow, this is good. Especially if you're a parent. This is really good. Children, obey those people called parents, for this is well-pleasing to God. Now, secondly, the, the, the application is where most of this sermon hits the, hits the, the, the rug. I mean, it comes in and pierces your heart. There's a threefold spectrum in applying this message. And I, I simply put it, one is to substitute what God has said. Another is to submit to it. And the third thing is to synchronize. Now, when I explain this to you, this is, you're going to see it clearly, Okay. The, the, the first part here is that uh, the substitute. This is when you're applying substitute uh, or secular modifications to God's model. Instead of saying, yeah, we like the way God said it in the Bible, now you're going to give an, an alternative. See, the world is full of alternatives because they don't like God and they don't like what God says. God says children are supposed to submit to mom and dad, right? What is going on in our current world? How many families have a mom and dad? Now, when I say that, oh, pastor, you've gone to meddling. You're living in the past. Yeah, it's probably true. Because right now, the way that young people are being told is that you don't expect to be married for a lifetime. If you ever find somebody that's going to have 50 years of marriage, you, you might have to throw a big, 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 big party for them. Okay, because by 50 years of having had your first marriage, you're probably on number five. Maybe you found a good one by then, right? Now, I don't mean to say that chippy. What I'm trying to say is that that's the false talk that you get. Now, in this world, when you get married to somebody that's not a good partner, listen, the scripture does give justification for divorce. Even though God hates divorce, adultery, abuse, and abandonment. There is reason. And praise God when you can be married to somebody who is a believer, somebody that's equally yoked together. This is not a condemnation of being married or being married a second time. This is a condemnation of the voices in the world that tell you that marriage doesn't matter anymore. If you go back even within the last five or six years, you can look at our own country, and our country has redefined marriage. I'll never forget the day when the Supreme Court overturned the Defense of Marriage Act. And they said, now you can marry somebody that's not of the opposite sex. Now, the way that things are, are avalanched from that moment, now, you, now you're kind of confused on what is the opposite sex anymore because sex is so, what, binary, trinary, whatever. Sex is up to your decision according to what the, the latest zeitgeist says. It's kind of weird when you think about it. I listened to this one guy from UNICEF. 
Listen to his quote. This was written in 2020 in July, just a year ago in the midst of COVID. He says, um, I, I was, I was, he says, I remember when I was young, my life used to be all about home, school, and doing my homework. Sounds pretty good. I did not have a chance to gain new experiences, and I knew nothing about the real world. Pretty bad. Worst of all, get this. My parents controlled every little thing in my life, says this 22-year-old man to his psychologist. And this is the rest of the quote. Now I'm a full-grown man who still cannot stand out in the world. Everyone and everything is ahead of me. People assume I have the same experience they gained during their childhood, while in reality, that is not the case. Yeah, I saw that crying, the little volunteer uh, violin playing, right? This guy looks at this dynamic that Scripture gives, and he says, it's no good. It's not good enough. I need to know what everybody else feels. I need to get out there and experiment. I got to try it. I want to sow my oats. And he goes on to say, we should raise children to be ready to face the world when they reach their adulthood. What is, uh, this is what raising children is all about. And then he goes on and he kind of explains that the, it takes a village. Now, I'm trying to tell you that this idea of substituting what God says, it's popular in our culture. It's way too popular. Now, let me take you secondly to where you should respond to this particular passage. You should submit. And the scripture there is, it's applying a spiritual understanding of God's model. When you look particularly at our text, God is saying to children, you matter. You matter. I'm putting you in this safe place. Follow the guidance of your folks. It's not that you're there by accident. By the way, pregnancy is not an accident. It may be a surprise to you, but it's not a surprise to him. Because just putting a man and a woman together doesn't produce a baby because a baby is a little life with a soul that'll never die. And let me tell you, they just don't pop out in, by accident. God ordains when life comes into this world. Every single life that begins at any conception is by God's design. I've already quoted for you how fearfully and wonderfully, how wonderfully we're made and how he can even call you from your mother's womb. He can knit the parts together. And as I said, now that I'm a granddad, I'm watching these sonograms and I'm just amazed at what we can now see. That back in the day when Tracy and I were having kids, we just got to see round shapes. Sometimes there were other shapes. But they really weren't that into detail. Now, what I'm trying to say here is that this, this secondary thing is submitting to what God says. This is so easy. I don't know why it even has to be repeated. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. This is the dynamics that he set up. And it fits with the, with the three institutions, the home, the church, and the state. And this three institutions, when you get it, it's like the light goes on and it should never be able to be dissuaded from you. God established the home. In the home, he said there should be order. Who should be in charge in the home? The parents. When you get to husband and wife, who can make the, the tie-breaking decision? The husband. It's all right there in Scripture, but this is the order that's set up. Then if you step outside to another order, there is the state. This, this idea of, of civil government was established in the book of Genesis, and it's articulated for us in the book of Romans chapter 13, that they're ministers for us. And so God has given them authority even to be an avenger to those who do wrong. People that lie, cheat, steal, people that commit adultery, all those things, the government has some obligation to make sure that things are not promoted that are evil. 
They're supposed to be a terror to evildoing. Now, the third institution is the church. Now, in the church, which got its organization at Pentecost, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, as he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. He, he authorized people. He called them to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. And he sent them out with authority to represent him in the church. And then the church has pastors and it has elders. It has uh, overseers, the episcopoi. It also has has shepherds and has deacons. You see, all these things are the order. And in particular, when God is talking to the family unit, he says, yep, when you become Christians, the family unit doesn't get erased. Kids, there's order and stick with it. Now, that's the, uh, the submitting. The third aspect is the synchronism, the, uh, applying the synthetic blending of God with God's model. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but this is the most dangerous. We know that when you listen to the world, they don't blend. The world just simply says, there is no God. We're going to do whatever we want. They have substituted Colossians 3.20, and they say, children, do whatever you want. Now, when you're biblical, you're going to say, children, don't do whatever you want. Do what your parents want. If you go to the synthetic, you end up getting, hey, kids, Appease your parents, but still do what you want. You see, they, this blending is sick. And the sad part is, is that it gets into the church because the church is the only one that actually knows Colossians 3.20. The kids that grow up in the church ought to know that you're supposed to listen to your parents. I mean, if you're in the secular school system or if you're in the secular world, who's going to tell you to listen to your parents? Well, maybe your parents will, but you're probably not already listening to them. Because guess what? Right now, if you want to have an abortion, you can go. Uh, if you want to have any of those pills uh, to be able to prevent abortion or, or to be able to have sexual activity, you don't have to go to your parents to get permission. You may have to do it for Tylenol. But you can get all of these things because the state will help you because now you don't have to listen to your parents, especially the latest in Delaware is that if your kid wants to change genders, they do not have to talk to you. In fact, I think it was within the last couple months. If I remember, Rand Paul was talking to one of the people that Biden was putting into his cabinet, and he was just simply asking them, uh, do you need to tell the parents when children are going to have puberty blockers, when they're going to engage in, in genital manipulation surgery? Do we need to tell the parents? And guess what the person said? Transgenderism is difficult to talk about. Totally refuses to address it because in their paperwork they all say that the parents are an obstacle because the kids should be free to do what they want to do and if they want to be a boy or if they want to be a girl then they can do that parents have no say now i told you that that uh, this is this was the most dangerous is that synchronism but let me take to the, the application part three uh, I want to ask three questions to the kids that are in the church. And by the way, how many of you are not children? It's really interesting. This one is universal. There may be some of you that don't like the, when, when the, the apostle says, wives, submit to your husbands. Some of you don't feel very, feel very important if you're not a wife right now. Or if you're not a husband, husbands uh, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Some of you don't want to connect that way. But when it comes to kids, we've almost dismissed it. But the reality is everybody's been a child. 
Now, these are some of the questions that I'm going to ask of you, whether you're an old child or a young child, because you're always going to be somebody's child. At least on the will, you definitely want to be known as somebody's child. <laughs> but the question is, do you honestly care about what pleases God today? Do you? The world tells you what pleases you. In the book of Colossians, Paul says to the people there, this pleases God. It really does please God. Do you care what pleases God? The answer absolutely should be yes. If you are doing things that displease God, you're a fool. Because the fool acts like there is no God, and you'll be acting like there is no God if you do the things that God hates. Because you can be sure that your sins will find you out, not because your sins have any power, but because God who watches you, whose eyes are everywhere, present, he sees the thoughts and intents of your heart. And he will surely by no means clear the guilty. Every single sin that's ever been done in this world is going to receive its just punishment. Every one. The good news, Jesus will pay for all of yours if you're united to Christ. Now, the second question is, um, do you know how to honor your father and your mother? I almost wanted to have some Jeopardy music here. You know, I want some of you to buzz in. For 400, please. You know, how do you honor your mom and dad? Well, let's see. Do any of you know that that actually is the fifth commandment? Okay, Exodus chapter 20, when God pulled the people out of Egypt and he brought them to Sinai, he says, look, this is the way it's going to be if you're a part of the covenant community. You're going to have respect for those old people that you call old people. You're going to have enough respect that you're going to do what they tell you to do. Now, even 20 years ago, you know, a lot of us had seen Archie Bunker and the likes like that. And, and you know, I'm going to tell your dad when he gets home. And that was enough to scare most people. Now... If you're going to say, I'm going to tell your dad, you're going to say, who's that? You see, it doesn't have the same weight anymore. What I'm coming here is honoring both your father and mother is the fifth commandment. It hasn't been changed. And a lot of folks are trying to understand that. Some of us that are having aging parents, we're realizing that honoring them in their older years is also a difficult thing. But it's quite a privilege. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The honoring your father and mother, it comes right after it in Ephesians chapter 6, if you remember. The reason why we obey them is because they are honored. They have the authority position. The third question that I want to ask you is, are you aware of the reaping principle in Galatians 6? In Galatians 6 verse 7, it says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you reap life everlasting. Those of you that have already, uh, especially I'm looking at the younger kids right now, if you don't listen to your folks, more than likely, your kids are not going to listen to you. Is that true in your life, those of you that have lived a few years? Did you do a good job of listening to your parents? Do your kids have a good job of following you? You know, the reaping principle is there. But I want to wrap up the sermon because I'm just, I wanted those thoughts to permeate you because it's so simple. It's, the only reason it doesn't happen is because self gets in the way. If you have great parents, it's awesome. You know, the conclusion of this, though, in Colossians 3.20 is the gospel message. Why in the world does God want to tell the kids in the church to listen to their parents? 
Well, I guess you could say because he doesn't want disorder and chaos in church. I mean, if you go to 1 Corinthians, there was a lot of chaos. He told the ladies to be quiet, ask their husbands at home. There's a lot of other situations that were kind of messy. When the church leaders in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 didn't take care of some of the sexual activity in the church, and he scolded them. I mean, you could see Paul pointing his finger at them from afar. And he says, fix it! 2 Corinthians, he says, good thing you guys took care of it. Nobody's glorying in sin anymore. So yeah, order needs to be maintained. And children, children are not being told here that they have to shut up. Children are being told is to do what your folks are teaching you to do. Do you remember how Proverbs put it? My son, listen to the instruction of your father and the law of your mother. Your mom and dad do not want the evil things for you. Now, if you have sinful parents, I imagine everybody did. But if you had evil parents, then, then I would tell you, then we'll work with counseling, how, how to work with evil parents. Okay? How many of you really had evil parents? <laughs> we maybe were, we're reluctant to say that we don't want to put our parents down because we're trying to honor them. Uh, there's going to be times when your parents were not good, when they were not in their best behavior. And when they gave you bad instruction and bad guidance, my friends, don't listen to evil instruction. But when your parents are, on, are acting with the authority of God to lead you in the path of righteousness, to give you the instruction that you've been given, and to be able to tell you, don't go here, don't go here, or even as one of the girls said up here, uh, the fork in the road. When your adult leaders give you that direction, listen to them. And that's what it means. But the gospel gets shown in an interesting way, and I'll wrap it up with this thought. Jesus is presented to us as a son, S-O-N. If he's the son, then that begs the question that there is a, who is the parent, the father. So if you already begin to see this, you have the father and you have the son. Now, when Jesus came to this earth, it wasn't like he had to be taught something new because the fifth commandment already said, children, listen to your fathers. So when Jesus was walking on the earth, whose will did he do? He did his father's will. And if you go to Luke 22, I think it's right there in that latter part. It's, it's dealing right before the communion service. He, right afterwards, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there you can hear Jesus struggling. He's going to be bearing in his body the, the, the heaviness of our sin. As Isaiah 53 said, it, he was going to be bruised and he was going to be smitten. The chastisement for our peace was going to be laid upon him. Whoa. The weight of it all. And Jesus is in the garden. And he's praying and he says, Father. Notice Father. Is there another way? And the Father says, no, nope, no other way. Jesus says, yes, sir, I'll do it. Not mine, but your will be done. Greater love could not be demonstrated. He who knew no sin became sin for us. There was no other way. The Father's will was for Jesus to go to the cross. We saw this pictured earlier on in Genesis 22 with Isaac having to go to Mount Moriah. And Isaac was quite the character. He says, Dad, Father Abraham, 
I see the wood, I see this, but where is the sacrifice? Next thing you know, he was tied to that altar. Do you think he squirmed? Do you think he was crying like a baby? I think the father was. Abraham was going to bring the knife down. A true family unit is filled with love. Obedience is an outgrowth of it. If you don't know the father, if there's no love for the father, then how can you obey? I'm telling you, when you become someone that's in Christ, behold, all things are passed away and all things become new. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless, now I live. And I don't live and I obey my parents just because I want to. It's because Christ is in me, enabling me to do what I don't want to do. So that the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see how being in Christ changes everything, especially the family unit? And wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone's family here just did the way that God set it up. Parents, lead your kids. Kids, follow your parents as they lead you in the way of Christ. Lord Jesus, I thank you that the gospel message is seen even in children obeying their parents. Lord, I thank you that we are not left just with this, uh, this rote command, be a slave to your parents. Lord, the Bible is calling us as the body of Christ, the parents being led by Christ, the children being led by Christ, the outsider, or excuse me, the, the people in the body of Christ being led by Christ, uh, the husbands being led by Christ, the wives being led by Christ. Lord, I pray that as we are in Christ, that our relationships would demonstrate it, that we are one in Christ. We're just different parts, all under the leadership of Jesus. Lord, I pray for the unity of the body of Christ, and particularly with children and their parents. In Jesus' name, I give thanks.